welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded once again, excuse me, recorded once again at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic. PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter for the moment at, at PW Comics World. Yeah, PW probably doesn't want to pay for a blue check. I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us <laughs> online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher, and on uh, Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash PW Comics World. Uh, and don't forget, you can leave us a rating of some sort, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, numerical, alphabetical, uh, on any of the fine platforms in which we're located. We love to get comments because we love to hear from our readers. Ditto. <laughs> All, right. All right. This week on More to Come. Uh, amazing. Penguin Random, uh, Penguin Random House's merger with Simon and Shit. Just the, the merger that would make the big five go to big four has been blocked by the Department of Justice. Yay! More to come on that. Uh, big Diamonds, big, uh, retailer summit, uh, held at Baltimore Comic Con, or should say returns, um, and, uh, to the Baltimore Comic Con very recently. Um, James Gunn is apparently now the Kevin Fahey of the DCU. More to come on that. Definitely. Uh, PW best graphic novels, really best books and the best graphic novels for uh, adults and for middle grade and YA. We'll talk about all this and more. Yeah. So not a lot of stories this week, but, uh, all of them are fairly tumultuous. Uh, Calvin, yeah. What about the merger being blocked? What the, what the ding dong okay. dealio? <clears throat> Um, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I certainly didn't ex- uh, expect it. Look, um, I think most casual observers of uh, the, the the book publishing industry would say that Penguin Random House, which is a massive publisher, a bigger by far than the second largest publisher in the Big Five, uh, and, and which I don't think is SNS. <clears throat> um, Generally speaking, DOJ does simply not interfere with this and on the publishing side. The feeling is usually that there's still a lot of com- competition available in this industry. <clears throat> um, let's remember it's called Penguin Random House because up until about two years ago, three and a, or three years ago, it was the big six. Yep. And Penguin <laughs> is a massive global publisher and they, they, DOJ let them do that. So this comes as a shocker to me. Um, uh, the judge, I don't have the, I don't have the brief in front of me now, but, uh, the judge, I think Florence Pan, I believe is her name, mm. said it would, uh, interfere with competition. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> the, the world's biggest publisher, uh, swallows the next largest publisher. How? Well, uh, I mean... but in particular, oh, well, and also, <clears throat> PRH's, uh, legal argument in this was that, uh, not so much that the merger would hurt consumers, perhaps it would, but more so that it would hurt authors. 
that it would hurt competition, that there would be fewer publishers to bid on books. And in a novel argument, that a subset of, of publishers who make $250,000 in advances. Now, that's not, that's but more that was, than that one. was what the D- Department of Justice that's, argued. Excuse me, not, that's the, excuse not me, that's, what, yeah. No, that's what the Department of Justice was charging. Yeah. That this subset of, of all authors would really be harmed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, no, naturally PRH, um, uh, countered those arguments as best it could. Now, this will, they're, they're probably looking for ways to appeal it. But I'm I'm stunned. Uh, I think, like most people in the industry um, that don't work for SNS, uh, this is a good ruling. Um, it has to impact a merger of this size has to impact um, uh, competition, and I'll tell you, it will absolutely uh, impact jobs. Yeah. What were you going to say, Kate? Well, what I was going to say is, it doesn't surprise me that this goes a little differently than Penguin Random House merging. Before, because, I mean, big as those were, it's now a behemoth now that it's a merger between those two. And so, not only do you now have the two titans of industry merge, now they're, they're a mega titan, right? Like, so for the mega titan, like this would seem to be step Two of swallowing <laughs> up the competition, right? Like you don't yeah, want your first comp- was RH that was P. Yeah, you don't. I can see that people would be like, "Oh, this is starting to look like Microsoft. Oh, this is starting to look like Facebook, where you're swallowing up your competitors in order to avoid competition. Yeah, uh- and you don't necessarily keep what you take from them." Maybe you just shut them down. Well, I mean, there's two, uh, you know, obviously the Disney Fox acquisition was yeah. most recent and, um, you know, which was shocking and re- result, you know, there used to be seven studios. Now there's barely, I guess there's one, two, three, four, five, but kind of barely, you know, Paramount is barely a studio anymore. But, uh, you know, I also remember, uh, was it Sprint and T-Mobile? Yeah. I know the DOJ sued to to stop that merger and and they went went on anyway. Yeah, yeah, it, went, yeah. they couldn't they're, stop. They're my carrier now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to be didn't, Sprint. Didn't, now I'm T-Mobile. Yeah. Mobile. So um, I, I think it is a bit of a shocker that this was blocked. Yeah, but I, I'm, but I'm uh, I thought it would go through. I'm, well, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad too. However, uh, as we'll get to the next uh, item, you know, hanging out with retailers and comics industry publishing personnel. Um, uh, it doesn't solve the basic problem, which is that Simon and Schuster, are they owned by Viacom? Yeah. Uh, the Viacom wants to sell them. <laughs> oh yeah, so I somebody mean, else was gonna wanna buy Yeah, them. and I mean, you know, I, I do think that having them be just, a, you know, absorbed by PRH probably was not the best thing for the industry. However, you know, they would have done a good job at it, but now oh, yeah. they're going to be, acqu- they PRH- might be acquired by some really crappy company. Yes, well, PRH is a really very good publisher. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is if they're acquired by a non-crappy company that is not a major player in the American publishing industry, then it won't really affect competition. So if, say, they're bought by a French French language publishing house, for example, or uh, even, you know, I don't know, a Russian language publishing house, who knows, whatever, <laughs> a, a movie studio, whatever, um, 
it won't affect competition the way it would if it were bought up yeah. by an American no, ab- publisher. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, and, you know, had PRH acquired, I mean, whoever buys it, there will probably be layoffs and, you know, downsizing. Uh, PRH might have been more, more, um, sizable just given what happened when they acquired Penguin. But, um, yeah, it's, a. It's, it's, I think it's a pleasant surprise. And, you know, one thing just that directly affects comics is that obviously PRH is distributing a lot of graphic novels yeah. and a lot of graphic novel companies. And Simon & Schuster has a huge portfolio. Like they have been scooping up, uh, small publishers for a long time. And, um, who is it? They have Viz. They, they have, have Viz, Boom. which of course is a feather in the cap huge. right now. Yeah. yeah. They have so many. I mean, I would say Boom and Viz just jumped to mind. I had a scorecard here. Well, Let's see if I can find my scorecard. But, I mean, um, the, the, one of the more likely, uh, uh suitors for SNS has, has been a suitor all along, and that's HarperCollins and News Corp. Oh. So, so just so you would trade one tyrant for another. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I mean these other publishers, they're much much smaller. These are giant publishing houses, don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But they're much smaller than PRH. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I I I could see where another suitor for uh SNS, the DOJ will let it pass. Right. Right. If it's more like Sprint and T-Mobile, I guess. That's yeah, why Sprint and T-Mobile. more like HarperCollins and SNS. SNS. Right. 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 Um, well. Very likely. Uh, now, I don't know the relative sizes off the top of my head of these giant, these, they're, to me, they're all giant houses. I think there was an article in PW. But, um, you know I'm what the sure. largest, listeners, do you know what the largest publisher in the world is? Penguin Random House. No. No, according to an article that Jim wrote in PW, it's Relics, R-E-L, our former oh, yeah. biggest, yeah. Yeah. But what do they even publish? Uh, Manuals? Yeah, they do. That's, that's in the world. In America, it is, um, again, from Publishers Weekly. It's right here on Publishers Weekly, of course. And a story by Jim Milliot. Uh, well, this is from five years ago, but, uh, Publishersweekly.com, dear listener. Yes, 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 industry news. Uh, Pegwin Random House, followed by HarperCollins, number three, Simon Schuster, number four, Hachette, number five, McMillan, number six, Scholastic, number seven, Disney, number eight, Houghton Mifflin, Harcourt, number nine, Workman, number ten, Sterling. Um, might not still be, um, Accurate. That's from 2015. I see because Dover Houghton on Mifflin, here, and they went bankrupt. But um, and Houghton Mifflin, um, yeah, seven years was acquired ago. by yeah. Who? Yeah, that me. this list is not current. But um, let's see. Who's the biggest publishing house in the world? Uh, yeah, Relics is number one, which is formerly Reed Elsevier, which used to own Publishers Weekly. So um. Well, now I don't feel bad about not recognizing the name because I knew Reed Elsevier. I didn't realize they changed their names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, you know, the big get bigger. I mean, we're seeing this consolidation everywhere, every place. You know, obviously it's happening with movie studios. We've been talking. Well, our next story, you know, let's – um. Yeah, I think we might as well just segue into this James Gunn story because, we, you know, as long yeah. as we're talking about gigantic corporations – um, of course, you've been talking about Warner Brothers Discovery on here for months and months and talking about their quest for the new Feige, for their Feige of their own. <laughs> and, um, you know, as I, as I said in my headlines, like, 12 years like, 12, short, yeah, it's but like, hey. 
Woo! It takes two to make Cartwright. It takes two to make it out of sight. Uh, they got two. James Gunn and Peter Safford, his producing partner. So this was a shocker. A two-headed uh, th- monster. This, uh, this news broke last week. Uh, definitely was a shocker in Hollywood that James Gunn would be given, uh, the portfolio of, uh, DC studio. Well, it used to be called DC films. A lot of little tweaks to give it a new kind of a head start. Uh, so it's now called DC studios. Yeah. Okay. There's no appreciable difference between the two. Why bother renaming? Because it's, it's so that when you say DC film, because Kate, because of (laughs) all the Michigas, controversy suffering that has gone on at DC film between Zack Snyder, Jeff Johns, John Berg company. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, so this way, when you this way, when you say, Oh, DC studio, it's a fresh start. Yeah. It's a fresh start. (laughs) And they also renamed. If you could hear me rolling my eyes in this corporate center. All the unwashed laundry. We just dump it out the window. And they also, well, Kate, this, this, what if we burn down the dirty apartment? What then? (laughs) I hope your, I hope your eyes don't roll right out of your head because the other big change, was that uh, they changed it from the DCEU, the DC Extended Universe, to just the DCU. The DC. So universe. they changed it back to the DC yes. Universe. It was the yes. DCU, then Some it was the never DCEU, stopped saying DCU, and then it was yeah. the DCU. Mm-hmm. Right. Fans right. never stopped saying the DCU, so it's the DCU again. Right, right. Well, you know, it's just a, I, it's a tinker. Li- listeners, listeners, I, I want to be give you some context here. I love DC. I love DC more than Marvel. I say this as a DC fan. Woo! <laughs> I really like. I really could care less about the nomenclature, but I I do care about who's in charge. Right. Well, I was. I talked to quite a few people, uh, close to DC Comics, which is our, uh, uh you know, number one concern, and they all viewed this as very positive. Okay. In in the like memo that went out from David Zaslov, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, announcing this, he actually made a point of pointing out that James Gunn had worked in a comic shop when he was a teenager. So he was really taking pains to point out that he's one of us, that he's, you know, he is a lanceman. He is not an interloper. He is to the manner born of comics. And, uh, indeed he is. I mean, every, I talked to- Not an to, outlander. Yeah, he's not yeah. an out, outlander. And I talked to, everybody was very excited about it because, you know, he's worked, he's dabbled in comics. He's very cognizant yeah. of the world. He's tweets, he tweets about comics that come out all the time. He, he knows the creators are, he knows the terrain. So, uh, for DC, as far as DC Comics is concerned, this does seem to be at least a, um, hopeful note that someone in a position of power will not want to d- dismantle them yeah. and will enjoy having a small, dowdy publishing company. <clears throat> because uh, there on are, hand. there are allegedly, allegedly, don't sue us, allegedly, uh, personages in high ranks at, uh, HBO, Warner, etc., who don't like the DC universe in any form, be it comics or movies, and would really like it to just go away. 
Yeah. So it would be nice to have a champion. Yes. Yes. It certainly, uh, some of the, uh, I mean, some of the uh, the artists in your in in, in the, the beat story, but you know, Jimmy Pauli, Palmiali, Tom King, they're 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 loving it. Yeah. Yeah. I know everybody's reacted. Well, everybody's racing to suck up to James Gunn. Let me put <laughs> yes. it that way. You know, the race to suck up was was there you on. Go. And um, but you know, he just took over. So we'll see. And you know, Peter Safran is his producing partner. He worked with him on Peacemaker, The Suicide Squad. Uh, you know, several other things. And so, yeah, it's a brand new day. I mean, what do you think, Kate? What do you think creatively? Did you see Black Adam? I mean, what do you think creatively of this new, this new venture? Well, I have mixed feelings and that I do like James Gunn, but I like James Gunn in small doses. Mm. So my hope is that he doesn't think that this means he needs to James Gunnify the entire DC universe, but will instead allow different directors to take their different flavors to it because James Gunn works great as uh the guy making James Gunn type films um when it's in the context of a lot of films that have a very different flavor right when it's part of the the the, the palette the the range of colors but if everything is James Gunn style in your DC universe that's like painting your entire house neon green. If everything is quirky, nothing is quirky. Well, it's not so much if everything is quirky, nothing is quirky. As everything is quirky, it's too quirky, your <laughs> eyes will fall out of your head. Um, you, you know, yeah, he's a very specific thing and you don't want your entire, anim- your entire animated or uh, comics-inspired universe to be that thing. But if he has a generous spirit toward other creators with other styles and makes room for them and their visions, then I think it'll be great. But at least you're starting from a groundwork of someone who can make good movies and does care about comics, which is good. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, this could go really well or really badly. And I can see exactly what both of those things would look like in my head. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you're certainly not alone in, in the reservations you've, yeah, you've but, I mean, uh, mentioned. Um, but and at the same time, it is good to have a champion for DC there who actually loves comics. Yeah, and yeah, that sounds great. And, uh, you know, apparently things like the Joker 2 and the uh, Matt Reeves Batman will be going on unimpeded. Are so. they still going to make the Joker movie a musical? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they are. Okay, well, um, maybe. I don't know. Well, why not? Stranger Things yeah. on Broadway. Well, it uh, seems like the... No, I don't mean on, on Broadway. I mean a musical movie. A, a musical movie? Oh. Yeah, well, it wasn't Lady Gaga got to yeah, be there was Yeah, there, was, there yeah. was some rumors that she would be signed to be the musical version of Harley Quinn. As as you probably guessed, I don't really have much of interest to say because I don't follow all these august personalities as closely mm. as my colleagues. So wait, did anybody see Black Adam? I haven't seen it, no. I haven't seen it. I've been. I, I kind of would like to see it, and you know, I would be will up for it. Point. But at the same po- time, I'm like on the fence. Because <laughs> on one hand, I like The Rock, and I do like movies that take more obscure comic book characters and give them the stage. Mm. So, in concept, could be good. But at the same time. I'm just not sure where they're going with it. I don't, 
You know what I mean? Well, like, like the entire enterprise is driven by the rock looking like Black Adam. Right. I mean, this entire thing. Right. right. The but only what, reason it even happens. But, but that's not a bad fans, thing. No, but the fans but, love it. Yeah. Where I'm just going is that like some films, you see the trailer, you know what you're getting. Some films, you go, I have no idea what I'm going to get when I walk in the door. I feel like Black Adam is that. I'm like, I don't really know. I'm pretty hooked in, and I'm still like, I still don't get what it's going to be like. Huh. Ah, well, well, it's getting pretty bad reviews, isn't it? But people love it. Yeah, it? but, there was, but it, I mean, it. you know, a lot of a lot of superhero movies get bad yeah, reviews, yeah, and people, yeah. you know, but and then they, they're, they're classic films that we yeah. talk yeah, about I, and watch every I, Christmas. I so, have to say you know. that, like, it's, when I hear that a comic book movie has fans loving it and bad reviews... I feel much more positively toward it than if it has good reviews and fans don't say anything. Well, I'll tell you, and you hear cricket. I'll tell you one thing though. I did see first off on Halloween. I was out on Halloween, and there was nobody dressed as Black Adam. Okay, so <laughs> bad sign. Yeah, that's bad a bad sign. <laughs> and then uh, to segue to our next item, I was at the Baltimore Comic Con, and there was nobody dressed as Black Adam. So you know, in terms of it having inspired immediate. Oh. Uh, interest and well, sparking that joy of I'm, wanting to dress up uh, I'm, does I'm, not seem to have I'm landed. I'm more worried by the the Halloween than the, than the Baltimore Comic Con because a proper cosplay costume such that a real cosplayer would feel comfortable wearing to a convention takes a while to build. But a Black Adam Halloween costume can be purchased at Party City. Mm-hmm. So the fact that people didn't, little alarming. On I'll tell you hand, what I saw a million of was Luigi's and Mario's. What the heck's up with that? Well, they, aren't they always? I don't well, know. I Maybe I was just let sensitive me explain. to it. There is a cartoon coming out very oh. – a new cartoon movie of Mario coming out very soon, and the trailers have already dropped. Yeah. So people are trying to jump on the bandwagon, and there are already Mario and Luigi costumes out there from all the other incarnations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so there was they might baby – Luigi, middle-sized Luigi, grown-up Luigi. Yeah. There was just yeah. like they all saw the trailers and went, "Oh yeah, that's right, I well, like Mario." I mean, a lot of it also has to do with what you see at, at Target and Walmart, yeah. you know. And I, I mean, you know, to your point, if if you know Black Adam, I'm sure there were some Black Adam costumes. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe there were. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know, but it didn't seem to make much of but a also, much of an impact. I mean, it Not could... like Lu- Luigi and why Luigi. It, it could also be, to be fair. Chris, well, yeah, The Rock is uh, very intimidating. He's got a big shirt to fill. Yeah, it's it's a little hard. <laughs> like I have to and say, fill it. He does. Like a lot of people love uh, the movie Moana, and I've seen a lot of Moana cosplayers. But it wasn't until New York Comic Con that I saw um, my first Maui cosplayer because, again. That's quite the physique to have to fill out. Yep, he's got it. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that, but I I do think it's a bad. Well, you, sign. you guys, you know what's opening next week is Black Panther two. Yes. November 11th. Yes. Are we all yeah. going to go see well, that? I, 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 yes. I I I'm I, I'm worried that I'm going to burst into tears 47 million times in the theater. Well, I've heard. So I saw. I'm actually seeing it on Monday. And yeah, tell me if I'm going to need to buy. And I like will, but I've already been told that you should plaque some Kleenex. I've already been told oh, by dear. people who saw it already. Make sure you bring uh, some Kleenex. Uh, okay. So just, just. Uh, what about the big question? Yeah. 
Who's Black Panther? Well, the, the people who saw it have signed NDAs and can't say. Yeah. So I guess the reviews will probably be out on Monday. I, I but have. The trailer sort of suggests. Mm-hmm. I have a theory. Yeah. I have a theory that it's going to do exactly the same thing that happened in the last movie and more than one person will hold the mantle over the course of the movie. That is my theory. I, I'm totally unspoiled. That's just my guess. Well, I yeah, mean, I, it's I mean, one I of the most too. viable but, options. But, but so. What about an obviously female Black Panther? Oh, in yeah. The all the, all the male or mm-hmm. all the major candidates to be Black Panther in this movie yeah. are all female. So you guys, I think we should make a point. We haven't done a movie review on here in a long know, time. And, and so let's try to we, all go to see it. I'm sure Calvin's going to run out and see it. I'm going to see it. And Kate, no, you're going to, I mean, I love that movie okay. so much. I did lose someone this year. So that's why I'm like, no, yeah. I don't know. This might mm-hmm. be even harder. But uh, I do really want to see it. Well, maybe uh, we'll go. We'll go see it. Let's all go see yeah, it. Let's I'm try gonna, to. I'm let's try, try my to. Very best to go see it. Let's try week, to absolutely. reconvene next time we do mm-hmm. this and uh, maybe talk about Black Panther. Yeah, I think that I, would I be. Really think, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's make I a point agree. because we haven't all seen the same thing together in a, while, so. a long, long yeah. time. So, uh, anyway, um, well, speaking of. Baltimore Comic Con. So yes, I went off in my final journey of the year down to Baltimore. They had Diamond held the Retailer Summit, uh, followed by Baltimore Comic Con, the friendliest con of the, of the circuit. And then they had, uh, you know, I wrote a story about it for PW where I pretty much summed it up. I also was live tweeting it. So you can read my tweets, uh, or read my story on PW. But, you know, everyone, Props be a little more candid here in the podcast, as is my want. Um, and you know, the, every time the cleaning lady just scared the crap out of me, you guys. I mean, just when I see this person walking by, just scared the the bejesus out of me. Anyway, we've talked a lot about Diamond over the last yes. three years, and there's where, been a lot to talk about. There's been a lot to talk about, and uh, I was very eager to see how they would present themselves at um, the summit. And, you know, they said there was 250 people there. I'm going to say my crowd counting skills are not very good because I didn't think it was that many people, but sure. Okay. okay. Sure. Um, and uh, there were people from Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and Image and IDW lurking around because mm. uh, they didn't give presentations they didn't give presentations no mm. although dark horse sent a video so that was kind of interesting an image which is part of actually they're distributed by diamond but they didn't show up but they they did uh sponsor the opening night reception so you know buy people a drink that's how to sell a book i guess yeah. uh still i thought it was nothing. thought yeah. it was pretty interesting mm. that um but you know the most interesting thing was that boom was uh had some tinkers to the most controversial parts of uh the diamond system which is that they charge for reorders they charge three percent reorder fee which is unheard of in distribution mm. i mean it's like back orders are the lifeblood of publishing yeah so you're charging yeah. people for yeah. yeah so you know brian and shipping too. yeah and yeah. shipping they, and they also charge for shipping which is also unheard of mm-hmm. so boom is trying to get a uh rebate on the shipping so when you order a boom product, you're going to get a 2% rebate, which doesn't sound like much, but it's 2%, and they're going to waive the reordering fee of 3%. So, 
Uh, and Philip Sablik announced this. I haven't seen like a press release or anything on it, but um, we talked afterwards um, about a little bit. Uh, he did say that this was an experiment, and he'd seen the numbers. And you, you know, this is this is diamonds. These are baked into diamonds' profit margin. So mm-hmm, yeah. uh, he said that this, you know, he set up in his presentation that they would need to order a lot of boom products for this to to stay, and also. I will say that Boom really did. I mean, you know, they'll say it as loudly as they possibly can, but they were one of the first publishers to uh, have uh, returnability, yeah. which is now pretty much standard. Everybody who remains with Diamond has some level of returnability. And so this could also be a pilot project for, mm-hmm. for these, you know, for these these breaks. Um, so it's pretty, you know, it's pretty nerdy, pretty weedy in the weeds kind of margins and percentages and stuff and uh i mean i mean i think the the major thing as i said in my story and in my tweets was just that diamond was positioning itself yeah. as a very diversified company and anecdotally i heard afterwards that some of their new businesses aren't aren't necessarily you know the best in class or doing all that great in their field but you know they're launching a lot of new businesses and uh they're not listen they're not going to go away i i didn't get no, the no, feeling yeah, yeah. i did not get the feeling that diamond was endangered or you know if, if they lose image they're going to go out of business i really didn't get that feeling if they were to lose image they would absolutely change their business that would but be interesting. but there is a lot a lot a lot but, of collectibles out there their expansion into these adjacent mm-hmm. um industries the collectibles industry i mean it's you know, they, they've always had some exposure there anyway, and this is, I guess, stepping it up. Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if you got this at New York Comic Con, but I mean, all of these collector companies have just, you know, this is yeah. another thing that soared during the pandemic. I think it's a bubble. Yes, I agree. Uh, I think that there, there's going to be some, some market shrinkage once we see which companies make it and which ones don't. But yeah, for now it's nice. I would just say don't, don't bet the farm on, collectibles because there's it's not going to keep booming quite to this degree it's just not sustainable well i already heard uh about some people i i already was talking to some retailers and they were talking about how the bubbles already burst you know some some people were buying very high during the pandemic and then they went to sell their very valuable back issues <laughs> and discovered they couldn't get the you know they mm. could not they'd fallen in value and so. not just their very valuable back issues but they're they're very valuable it's totally not a punk, Funko Pop. It's something else that looks just like a Funko Pop, but is like better the, and stuff. The Funko Fops, yes, the Funko yeah. Pop industry, yeah, for sure. Which I mean, are fine if you want to decorate your house with them, but not fine if you're going to try to make money back on them. Good luck with that, buddy. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's like all of this. I think it's like publishing and collectibles. I mean, they soared, and you know, manga soared, and they're they're falling. They're definitely yeah. coming but, back down but, from 21, but they're not falling back to no, 2019 yeah but no, i think with collectibles yet. there's a different factor which is a whole new generation of people i i genuinely think this is a whole new generation of people who weren't around in the 90s for the the oh collectible cover boom um are like falling once again for this is a very special collectible i swear it will be worth money this is definitely not like beanie babies um spoiler alert it's like Beanie Babies. <laughs> um, I mean, the whole notion—it's all inherently volatile. So, yeah. right, it's—it's it's just like, like a 
a market for books booming is relatively sustainable because you get what you wanted out of it, which is a book, and you read it. But collectibles, by their very nature, not all, but a significant portion of people who buy collectibles think that they are going to be able to get their money back if they need to, and they don't. Yeah, and they, and they expect their money to increase. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, there, there's like there's three categories. There's the people who are like, I just like it, and they're fine. They'll be fine. There are the people who are like, well, I really like it, but I don't feel bad about spending all this money because, hey, if I ever need to spend it, I can just – if I ever need the money again, I can just sell it well, there and it'll are, be great. Listen, and then there are people who think it's going to make a lot of money. There are some investments that are very good investments. You know, sure. silver, yeah. Golden Age comics, Silver Age comics yeah. remain good investments. Absolutely. You know, art by – by top 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 yeah. artists remains a good investment. Now I was talking original art to uh, I was talking to Albert Moy, who's one of the biggest, most successful art dealers, and he was just you know I mean we were shooting this shit, so it's kind of off the record, but you know he was just telling me of some ridiculous prices that yeah. people were paying for um, art by very very good but not timeless classics, you know. And, uh, is you know, original art or is this origi- original art, original. Mm-hmm. Oh no, not Prince original art. He only deals in original art. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, um, is always going to be valuable. Well, yeah. Jim Lee is always going to be valuable. Sure. You know, like the top, top, top people I would say, but you know, buy with your, you know, bet yeah. with your head, not over it. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. But, I, but I'm also thinking some of this is our, you know, action figures. Um, yep. The uh, trading cards, NFTs, God help us. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I'm not so worried about the comic side of it, although it has its own speculative periods. Um, but I'm just curious about where the other expanded yeah. collect. I mean, it seems like now everything is collectible now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like comics are not currently in a, a, a collectible phase as it were because i think the graphic novel boom kind of took the edge off of that a little bit because you don't need to buy back issues to catch up on the story but i think that same impulse has now gone off to as you put it heidi the punko fops yeah (laughs) yeah that's yes (laughs) um you know there is another uh event at the Baltimore Comic Con, which is the Ringo Awards, and um, I'm trying to That's find. That's right. They, they did. Every show has to have its own awards. Yes. Uh, let's see now. I didn't even see what won. <laughs> I did not go to the ceremony, but uh. Well, Eric Powell won three, so that's cool. He won four. Did you see what, did you hear what Eddie Gein done? Yeah. Uh, that's a really good book, actually. And then James Tinian, of course, or something is killing the children, mm-hmm. won a whole ton. And, uh, let's see, Jeff Lemire won best cartoonist. Uh, best anchor, Salvia Sema. Okay. All right. Uh, you never know. Um, let's see, what was best graphic novel? Or best original graphic novel, did you hear what Eddie Gein done? Uh, any other best humor comic, not all robots, best web comic, Laura Olympus, best humor, web comic, Sarah Scribbles, best nonfiction, do you hear what Eddie Gein done? And best kids graphic novel, Avatar, The Last Airbender, uh, and the, uh, humanitarian award was won by Scott Dunbeer. So, um, there you go. Very good. And you know, uh, at the retail summit, an award, the Alan Hawksworth award was given, which is a grant of $5,000 to Green Brain Comics in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, which is, uh, 
a really great shop. I yeah. uh, just want to give them a call. Everybody is right. very, very happy. Uh, uh, Dan Merritt and I always forget Dan and Katie Merritt and they, uh, they're really great. You know, they have been doing kids comic con for a long time. They were so far ahead of their, of the time oh, cool. with what they were selling. Cool. So, uh, props to them. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of awards. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess they're an award. Um, I assume we're, we're segueing into PW's best books of the year. You know, PW's annual listing of what we consider to be the best books across the board in every, you know, category. Uh, and among these books are also the best adult graphic novels of the year, as well as, um, uh, uh, a number of children's, uh, children's and YA graphic novels that are picked by the children's editors in the middle grade and the young adult category. But our purview, under our purview are the adult graphic novels, and we got five really great books, including, uh, Kate Beaton's Ducks, Two Years in, in, um, in the Oil Sands, uh, which was named one of the top ten books, um, Oh, no overall, the the overall, the overall, overall yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of 2022. Uh, but joining Kate Beaton, uh, uh, in this August circle, um, we got four other books, uh, and they're all really terrific books. Uh, number one, A Career in Books, a novel about friends, money, and the occasional duck bun by Kate Gavino. It's, uh, it's hilarious. It's really smart. It's the story of three young, Asian American women determined to work in book publishing, uh, despite every red flag they have to deal with. <laughs> um, uh, they really want to be in book publishing and it's a really spot on look at, uh, the book publishing by a, a comics artist who was indeed a book publicist herself for many years. Uh, and it, you know, one of them works for a big corporate publisher. One of them works for, uh, you know, a self-indulgent, uh, vanity, super literary press that's backed by a giant, you know, uh, uh, a giant bunch of money. Um, it's, uh, it's thoughtful and it also, but on top of that, on, on, you know, on top of a really thoughtful and very funny lampooning of the book industry, I think that there's some very, uh, thoughtful and clear messages about the lives of women, about the lives of women uh, who are ambitious and the lives of women who are in an industry uh, that even with all of the women in book publishing is still incredibly sexist and, gen- and you know, basically uh, driven by uh, male power and misogyny. So uh, there's also Meg and I, Meg Lemke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, we also do a stargazing episode, so go look in the archive. And we babble endlessly about this book because it's a lot of fun as well as being very smart. Uh, the next best book, best adult graphic novel on the list is The High, De- the High Desert, Black Punk Nowhere by James Spooner. Uh, probably better known as a filmmaker. Uh, he's the uh, filmmaker and director behind the Afropunk film. And this, this book is really his memoir. And in some ways it's, um, a companion piece in some ways to the, to, to the film because it's a look at, uh, a young, uh, teenage, uh, punk loving biracial teenager, uh, who discovers punk, but he also discovered, it's, discovers it in a community full of straight up uh, wannabe Nazis and skinheads. Uh, and, uh, but this book is his development, his love for punk, 
and how it changed his life, especially when he gets to New York and goes to uh, ABC New Rio and some of the other classic um, uh, punk locations in New York. And he gets a wider view of just what the punk movement can mean. And, of course, the role of black people uh, at the very beginnings of punk. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, and really, really direct and emotional book. So check it out. Uh, in addition, Smart Guy by Eric Orner, The Life and Times of Barney Frank. Uh, once again, a terrific uh, graphic, political, and personal biography of uh, the, what, the, the, I think the first uh, out gay rights advocate uh, elected to Congress. Well, he was the first gay, openly gay Openly gay congressman. Yeah, okay. Barney Frank was the first openly gay in yes. uh, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. This is a delightful book. Uh, it's very smart, very detailed, and uh, there's not a boring page in it. It really captures uh, Frank's uh, uh, ex- incredible expertise uh, in working in urban politics uh, and his and what he had to, to deal with being a gay man and trying to uh, and being elected to Congress. So, uh, Eric Warner, uh, terrific. Who, who, who has an ongoing comic strip as well. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Megan Kelso's Who Will Make the Pancakes? Five stories. Really playful, delightful, smart, um, stories. Very long, short stories. <laughs> Novellas. Um, um, yeah, really. And, and certainly one of them that I uh, like, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to mangle the, the, the title of it. But it's the story of basically uh, uh, set in the 1940s, uh, white housewife whose husband is gone and has kids uh, and her encounters with black families at the time. Very interesting. But I would just say all of all, these are wonderful, inventive, beautifully illustrated stories. So, so check it out. So... Yes, and look, go to middle grade, and when you go to the to the widget that PW has set up, and you click through, go to the middle grade and young adult, and there's at least five more graphic. Novels. Yeah, there's quite a few in middle grade, also, yeah. uh, including uh, looking very quickly. I'm probably going to miss some, to be honest, because all books have covers that look like graphic novels now. Uh, Freestyle by Gail Gra- uh, yes. Gail Galligan. Uh, from Scholastic. Um, Frizzy. Yes. By, I have another book I haven't seen. There's, by uh, Clarabelle or, uh, or, uh, I don't want to make, because as I know Clarabelle and it's just so awesome that her book yeah. is here. Clarabelle Ortega, she's fabulous. She's a, a middle grade and young adult novelist. Now she's got a graphic novel. She was our guide when we went to, uh, <laughs> Havana with the Cuba many years ago. Oh, nice. In her other life. Uh, congratulations Clarabelle. Much deserved. You're right. awesome. I'm trying to see which other ones here are graphic I can, novels. I can tell you right now. Twin Cities by uh, Jose Pineta, um, a profound graphic novel that chronicles two Mexican twins, Teresa and Ferris, and their involving relationship with attending schools in separate cities divided by the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, I think there was a couple in – was there any in YA as uh, well? Yes, there indeed there is. Um, let's see. Oh, one of that's really fabulous, Victory Stand, Raising My Fist for Justice, the graphic oh, yes. Yes, uh, yes, biography yes. of Tommy Smith, uh, the great uh, Mexico 1968 Olympic um, uh, gold, uh, silver medal winner uh, who did the famous Black Power Suit on the victory stand. Uh, the book's by um, it, done in con- collaboration with Derek Barnes and Daoud and, and Yabwile. Mm. 
of Brother Man fame. Uh, also a wonderful book. And is there one more? I'm not that's sure. Yeah, I think that's that might. I think that, well, I think uh, that uh, might be it. Addressing yeah. what you were saying, Heidi, about uh, <clears throat> books having covers that look like graphic novels these days, True. I think it's a sign, quite frankly, that the um, generation that grew up during the f- first manga boom is now in positions of power in book publishers. Yes, absolutely. And think it looks good. Yeah. Because, like, for example, if you look, and just in, like, literally the last year or two, at, like, major titles being released in romance these days, yeah, half of them have the cover model and pretty dress cover that we've seen for the last 20 years. But the other half, it looks kind of like a manga. Right. Oh yeah. And, Absolutely. And it's because it's aimed at women who were reading shoujo. Well, 10 I mean, years don't ago. you know? Don't be a ninny. I mean, everybody could see how successful manga and anime are, and you know they're going to jump on. Although I will say, but, none of these really look like anime, but they they have a more cartoony. But they do indie look like comics. comics. <laughs> right. Yeah. But what I mean is that it's it's a feeder, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. the the teenagers who read manga grew up and read web comics, and grew up and became art directors. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I was going to say, uh, I didn't see, I just saw this list today for the first time, and I did, Calvin and I had a little discourse, because I had never heard of most of these books, and I I don't think that's really a uh, commentary on just, you know, my world and where they promote them, because, like, I do... I do get a lot of promotion, promotional materials at the beat for books, but these were not, you know, these never, I don't know, they didn't cross my path. And, and I think it's very interesting that they're, you know, it's very, very traditional. I mean, there's no real traditional comics publishers on these, in any of these books. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, there's one other book that was, le- that we left out that's a middle grade graphic novel. I think it's Alte Zachen. Mm-hmm. Old Things by Ziggy uh, Hanauer, illustrated by Benjamin Phillips, uh, a Yiddish peppered graphic novel that centers, centers on these two characters, mercurial, mercurial and unshakable bonds. Mm-hmm. I do, do you think, Kelvin, I do think that it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Megan Kelsell fan. I've been loving her work for, you know, mm. since it first came out. So I'm thrilled to see her stuff collected and put on there. And obviously, Kate Beaton is a, well, you know, oh, yeah. best book is... but I mean, the other three are not known as cartoonists. Um, well, not popular. I mean, they're not well known as cartoonists. Um, the, the other three. So you're talking about uh, the, uh, of the top. well, James Spooner. No, he's uh, this is really his first right, graphic novel. Right. Um, uh, I've lost track of what I'm. Well, Barney Frank and okay. the and the okay. book Warner about... is Warner has a very long mm-hmm. uh, um, career as a cartoonist right. and a serialized cart. Coming, I think, in the advocate, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Kate Gavino is a, she's more of a book illustrator. She has right. done, I think, children's picture right. books. This is also her first, um, adult graphic. Novel. Right, right. So, yeah, I can see where, um, that's the case. One thing though, these books, um, have been getting a lot of attention career. As I said, we, we did, uh, we did a stargazing about a career in books. Uh, we also did a stargazing about Smart Guy and, uh, the High Desert. Um, 
And in, and in some ways, what these books do is uh, what we're seeing a lot now is they're kind of bringing a whole new market into yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's, I think it's exciting. And, you know, from, from when we saw mainstream publishers, cause they're all published by like one of them is Metropolitan. I think one is Harper. Yeah. And the other is, um, yeah. Plume. <laughs> Smart guy. So, uh, you know, these oh, are very traditional pu- publishers and, uh, you know, listen, when I started here at Publishers Weekly doing long time ago, doing the reviews, they did not get it at all. The books were awful. Oh, yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. They I were... was a kid then, but I remember. <laughs> you I were, were a child. You were just a little child. <laughs> well, I mean, I was you a were. teenager. Yeah, you still. were. Wow. Uh, I remember Man alive. the period in which many prestige publishers came out with, uh, attempts at graphic novels we'll just leave it there yeah and they also thought that if you'd never drawn a graphic novel like and you couldn't draw at all you could do a graphic novel by with your powerful scribbles yeah and uh i won't Uh, name names but there was a few books that were scribbles and uh, got publisher and you know and they quickly discovered that these books didn't earn out and uh, that was uh, stopped, and then it grew again. But this yeah. time, it's grown the right way. Well, one of the biggest problems in the early days is that uh, it, it was a bit of a, kind of a bandwagon ju- uh, jumping because yeah. the entire company did not know how to sell this book. Yes, yes. Uh, there's an infrastructure now. There's a familiarity familiarity now with it with the uh, with the category that did not exist even when they were handing out pretty sizable advances uh, because it seemed to be a hot category. Well, it's genuinely a hot category now. Um, and also the publishing houses now are way more structured yes. from top to bottom, from acquisitions to editing to marketing uh, to printing uh, to design. Right. To know how to do these, how to do these books, how to sell these books and how to promote the books. So, um, uh, as, as graphic novels, comics take their rightful place in the ecosystem of American book publishing. Well, I just think it shows that that people have I think what Kate was saying was very accurate. Not only is it that they've grown up reading comics and you know aren't afraid to do covers book covers that look comical, but uh they also have read comics and they know how to yeah, they know what makes a better comic now. And you, you need people who actually read comics to be yes. publishing your comics. Yes. It can't just be someone who uh lost the coin toss and oh i guess i'm gonna be doing the graphic novel yes. oh maybe i'll look up graphic novels on wikipedia <laughs> or like some some solitary you know like um you know evangelist uh who's in a house but nobody no there reads comics yeah yeah, yeah. and you know may, maybe they have respect for the editor but they nobody knows what to do after that you know they think well this person likes it but how do we sell it? Yeah. So this this is a whole yeah. we live in a different world now. A world we all contributed to making happen. Yes, I Yay. would say we have. Yay, and yes. by we we don't just mean the people at this table, we no. mean you listeners. You listeners, you, you yes, know, you we will take you our credit as we get it, but believe you did me, it too. it's the it's the public out here now that doesn't blink twice uh at the thought of a comic as a book. Absolutely. <clears throat> and contrary to what certain famous directors would say, I don't think that's a sign that our culture is becoming infantilized. I think it's a sign that, you know, it's opening its mind a little. Yeah. 
Read more comics books. Well, that's it. I, you know, uh, you know, we won. We say that many times here. We won. And, um, (laughs) you know, we just need to know when to get off the stage so we don't look like, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Yeah, I hear you. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm, what I'm trying to do with Tom Brady, you know, yeah. I'm trying to retire and keep playing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, he, that's, that's my Calvin's, model. Calvin Tom Brady. Tom Brady is my model. Calvin, Tom Brady, Reed. You, <laughs> you, you heard it here first. There you uh, go. Well, all right. Well, uh, you guys, I, th- I think that's uh, it for now. And we're all going to go off and see Black Panther when yeah. we can. And, uh, you know, but there will be more to come.